Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Wholeness and feeling at home in our bodies and in resonance with our deepest self in order to experience pleasure in all aspects of our lives is something we crave deeply. In today's episode, I speak with someone who has dedicated her life to helping us achieve just that. Darshana Avila is nurturing a culture of erotic wholeness. As an internationally recognized speaker, coach, and facilitator, Darshana supports women and couples in exploring and reshaping their relationships to intimacy, sex, and eroticism. She created the Map of Erotic Wholeness as a path to personal liberation and service to our collective sexual liberation. In October 2021, she was featured on the Netflix series Sex, Love, and Goop. Darshana believes we are erotic by nature and is dedicating to helping people feel truly at home in their bodies, at ease with their sexuality, and in alignment with their hearts. Her unique style of somatic sex and intimacy coaching weaves together a trauma-informed, nature-based, justice-oriented approach, inviting more presence, pleasure, and passion into the lives and relationships of those she got. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Welcome to the Superhumanized Podcast. I am so pleased and so thrilled we get to connect today. I am as well. Thank you so much for having me here, Ariane. Yes, you came into my awareness just within the last few weeks, and uh, you've been on this, this series, which I've absolutely adored, on Netflix Goop, sex, and love, and your insights and your energy, and how you actually help people just blew me away. I just knew I have to talk to this woman. The <laughs> wisdom and just the, the lovely energy that pours forth from her. I just need to get her on the show. And, <laughs> and for the audience, Darshana, you are an erotic wholeness coach. And one of your core guiding principles is we are erotic by nature. Yes. What does eroticism mean to you? And what is your approach to erotic wholeness? Yeah, thank you. Wonderful place to begin. Eroticism to me, it includes our sexuality, but it's a lot more than that. And, you know, we use those two words often in very interchangeable ways in our common conversations and the way that they're understood. Yet to me, the erotic includes our sensuality. It includes our emotions. It has to do with our relationships, the, the dynamic way that, that we relate not only with other humans, not only with ourselves, but with the whole web of life, the, the wide, wise, wild world that we are a part of. 
And a place where, you know, I've really come most alive in my personal journey relating to the erotic is in the natural world. So that really informed how I was Mm. looking at my journey with sexuality and intimacy, both personally and professionally. And it started to expand the focus quite a lot. And so for the first many years of, of being in private practice and doing the work that I do, I referred to myself as a sex and intimacy coach that felt really accurate. And then it didn't feel really accurate at a certain point when I started to really consider all the things that that inform us and inspire us as as animate creatures, as erotic beings. And, and that is what has led me on this path. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. just mentioned it, you know, that you feel like a really profound connection within nature. I've heard you talk about eco-sexuality and its role in our all over well-being as, as, as humans. And obviously there's a huge disconnect nowadays between our culture, the way we live, and the natural world. So can you tell us what you mean by eco-sexuality? And can you also relate to us the fallout of this disconnect that we currently have? Yeah, the term eco-sexuality, it, it, it's certainly not one that I created. So we should start there. Like, I, I don't know who originated that term, but it isn't me. And I, I maybe I'm the first person to talk about eco-eroticism, possibly. And, but, you know, like using either of those terms, really what it all points to is, again, being in an intimate and sensuous relating, not just with another human being, but with life and with place. And so for mm-hmm. me, what it's about is fundamentally, I think the, the pain that a lot of us are carrying around is a pain that arises from a feeling that we don't belong And not everybody would articulate this, Mm -hmm. you know, not everyone is walking around saying, this is my fundamental problem. Help me with that. And yet the modern human for the most part lives very disconnected and distant from any sense of belonging to place to intact culture. We, we see, you know, it, it, that more and more and more attention is being brought to the ways that indigenous earth-based cultures are, are being decimated by westernization by by the the pursuit of modernity and and capitalism and and all of these many isms that we could speak of here that have said being in a simpler more intimate relationship with with the world with the earth that sustains us is somehow less than it's somehow less sophisticated it's less appealing less attractive and yet Connection to place and a sense that we belong is one of the fundamental things that we're we're yearning for. And so where this intersects with sexuality, with eroticism, is that we have fixated so much energy and attention on sexual connections in particular, romantic partnerships, sexual acts, who we are or aren't sleeping with, what it means about us if we are or aren't having this much sex or that much sex or the kind of sex on and so forth, because it's one tiny little facet of our modern human life where we've been given permission to really be in our bodies and and to feel a sense of connection to something bigger, something more, something other than ourselves alone. It, it and and this is where 
orgasm, for instance, can be such a, the, the reason why people chase it is not simply like some obsession that exists for no reason alone. It's, it's because of that moment of transcendence, that moment of feeling surrendered into something that is more than we are. And what ecosexuality or ecoeroticism, I think, posits and gives us access to then is that we might have those transcendent experiences and feel a sense of connection and a sense of belonging, an experience of really being alive in our bodies in moments and ways other than amidst a sexual act with another human being. And that's the jumping off point. You know, mm. there's a lot, lot, lot more that goes into that, certainly. And, and I think for me in practice, what it has a lot to do with is helping people to inhabit their bodies more fully, awaken their senses more acutely, and really learn that there is a courtship that we all get to be in if we so choose with the wild world. And that we are not actually outside of that. We're not apart from it, even if we live in those ways, you know, to speak of the natural world and ourselves outside of it, which don't get me wrong, I do. <laughs> our, our language like doesn't seem to quite let us avoid that very readily, but, but we are part of that. We're not separate from it. And, and that unto itself is such a profound lesson when we truly learn that not just in our heads, but in our bodies feel and sense ourselves as belonging to the world. Our, our relationships change, our life changes, our sex changes. And, and that's what it is that I'm guiding people in the direction of. Mm, that is truly profound, Darshan, and it resonates so uh, deeply with me. You know, I remember also, you know, teachers such as Alan Watts, who used to jokingly refer to our perception of ourselves as these, I guess, I'm not quite sure we called as like we perceive ourselves as these separate meat sacks in a hostile universe and everything is against us there is no sense of connection and that that is basically at the root of a lot of the things that that ail us so how can we you know for probably a large part of the audience here who, who are listening live in kind of urban environments how can we reconnect to that sense and you know the eastern philosophies it's, it's very different they speak of you know we are born off this world where in mm -hmm. our western it's we're born into this world so mm -hmm. there we automatically see ourselves as separate from and yes it's crucial to see ourselves of this world, part of it also to heal, to feel belonging. I mean, we all yearn for it. What are some practical, pragmatic steps we can do to reaffirm this, this deep and so important connection? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that there's a lot in what you just shared and asked that that I could rip off of. Not least of all that that distinction between East and West. You know, I have my my early origins of this path and and my journey began with a devoted yoga practice that led me to tantra, and and tantra, it, mm -hmm. it, you know, in a word, is, is about the weaving together of experience. It's about how things connect and how we are all connected, you know, that, that that's maybe the one of the most fundamental principles of it. And yet in the Western world, we are born into this radical individualism. And that absolutely relates to how we organize ourselves around place. And, and so you also said something about like, what does somebody who's living in an urban environment do about this? And that's a really reasonable question, because there's also something to be said for 
who has access to wild spaces. And, and there's a lot bound up in issues of social justice or injustice, we could say, the way land has been taken away from certain people and given to others and, and, and what it takes to, to actually commune with nature beyond an urban environment. Like this is where it gets quite complicated and I can go off on tangents. So I'll try to reel myself back in here. Um, but, but, you know, to your average oh, person- this, though. Yeah. <laughs> You know, to your to your average person who's living in a city environment and might be listening to me speak right now saying like, all right, so what am I supposed to do here? I'm surrounded by buildings that the, the earth is paved over with concrete. Like, how do I connect to place? And this is where, you know, we, we have to start where we are. That's the only place we can begin. And so if that means that you have a house plant that you can start to be in a more intimate present relating with, or if there's a tree on your block that you walk past every day when you're on your way to and from you know, the many movements of your life, that's enough. The, the premise here being that any more than human being, so when I say more than human being, I, I just wanna like take a moment to slow that phrase down. We have this idea that, that that it's like other than humans, less than humans. And I want to invite the notion of more than human, that we live in a more than human world. We're not the only ones here. We're not the only sentient beings. Beautiful. We're not the only intelligent beings, yeah. right? We're, we're part of a more than human world. And so cultivating a connection, you know, for me, I do have the benefit of living somewhere where I have miles of protected space and forests and hills that I get to roam around in. And so for me, what it often looks like is going and visiting the trees who I have been cultivating a relationship with for years now, the trees that I go and sit with and talk to and cry with and dance with and lay in the arms of much as I would a human who I sought for deep, intimate connection and solace. And that can and absolutely has for me in moments turned into a more overtly sexual experience. I've had makeouts with flowers. I've danced with the moon. I, you know, like they're, 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 that might be a bit far out for some, and that might feel really enticing for others. And there's no judgment. Like I said, we got to start where we are in all the ways. But what it fundamentally boils down to is yeah. can we start to really really consider that there are other beings that we are surrounded by all the time who have their own sentience, as I said, have their own intelligence and, and create a connection with that. Notice what we might learn or how we might be touched, impacted, fulfilled even by opening up to more relationships than just the human ones alone. So, so that's, you know, that's oh, a jumping that's off point. <laughs> Yes, and that's beautiful. I love it. I have not made out with flowers yet. Yes. yes. But, <laughs> but I no do judgment. A, no judgment. Not at all. No. And not yet, but I do have an oak tree here in uh, Los Angeles where my home base is that I kiss and hug every morning after yeah. I get up. Yeah. And yeah. I I am with you there 100%. You know, we're not the only sentient, intelligent creatures that have a spirit on this planet. Right. And always, even just sitting under a tree, which I love to do under my oak tree, I can go there and feel horrible for some or the other reason. And within literally five to 10 minutes of just sitting under this tree, I experience a state change. Mm -hmm. Nature is very powerfully healing for us. I mean, I... Yeah. 
it's and to be able to reconnect with that is crucial. So thank yeah. you for also saying that, you know, you do not need, obviously, ideally, we all could walk out into wilderness and recharge and reconnect. However, even just connecting with your houseplant or a tree on the block is something that's really worthwhile looking into. Yeah. yeah. And there's something else that I want to just add as, as a little additional piece here. Like I want to speak about what I mean when I say make out with a flower and why anybody would want to do this, <laughs> you know, because I think in isolation, that can sound like a bit of a strange statement. Like what's the context here? <laughs> and, and yes. really what that's about and, and where it intersects with our very human sex lives is about refining our senses and expanding the scope of what's possible for us in our sexuality. You know, our dominant culture tells us that sex is mm -hmm. a penis and a vagina mm -hmm. and that anything short of that is also somehow less than that. And yeah. that is missing so much. <laughs> I mean, so, so very much in terms of what we could do within our human interactions, where the more than human interactions can become a gift to that is the reason I would want to make out with a flower is because our lips, our human lips are highly sensitive. So for me to graze my lips along the soft petals of a flower and inhale the fragrance and really close my eyes and go into all of that tactile experience that is a beautiful practice unto itself. There's nourishment for me there. It's going to feel really delicious to my body. It's also going to make me a better kisser. Next time I'm in bed with one of my lovers, mm -hmm. next time, you know, like, because I'm taking the time to slow down and interrupt that autopilot script that can so readily run around our sexual encounters. So it's a way of right. expanding the scope of possibility, introducing more variety, really being creative, which as far as I'm concerned, creativity and curiosity are two of the most important and essential allies that any of us can bring to our intimate lives. But we, that's a, like, it's actually a tall order for many people, because again, the dominant conditioning does not actually inspire that. The dominant conditioning is here's no. the script that you follow. Maybe you kiss for a few moments. Maybe there's a tiny little bit of what we call foreplay. And then again, intercourse happens. The person with a penis probably has an orgasm. The person with a vagina, if they're involved, probably doesn't. And then you're done. Mm. And, and so no wonder yes. we're, we're reaching for more um, in, you know, in terms of our sex, but in terms of so many areas of our lives. And, and the more than human yes. world is one way for us to actually be in an experience of more. Beautiful. And what you just mentioned, you know, this really very myopic script of what, you know, sex or eroticism actually is, you know, what you just described. What are some of these other scripts that, you know, we get indoctrinated with and that basically keep us from our full erotic potential? Yeah. Let's name yeah. some of those. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot that have to do with very heteronormative cisgendered associations with how our bodies are quote unquote supposed to be and what the roles are that we are supposed to play. So for instance, 
if, if me, I'm a cis woman and I am supposed to therefore have a wet pussy to, to show that I am turned on by my partner all the time. And if my partner has a penis, they must have an erection. Otherwise there's a problem. And one or both of us are going to develop a complex if, oh my goodness, we're, we're not living into that culturally sanctioned script of this is what we need to have sex with each other. And so what we end up doing with one another and with ourselves is being very goal oriented and, and used a word that's apropos here. It's a very myopic focus. We, we get the blinders come on and what we do inadvertently there is place so much pressure on ourselves to perform as opposed to making space for ourselves to be in an authentic experience of what our deep sensing and feeling bodies are up to in any given moment. And that pressure to perform, mm -hmm. that pressure to live into a standard, if curiosity <laughs> and creativity are, are the greatest gifts that we can give ourselves, pressure to perform is like the worst thing we can do for our sex lives. And yet many of us are doing so unknowingly and unwittingly because we're following the script that says, here's how your body needs to respond and your sex needs to follow these steps. Like I said, you know, maybe you kiss a little bit, maybe you touch a little bit, but all of that is being done with the intention of get the pussy wet, get the penis hard, let's put them together until we're done and then good night. And, and so we, we leave yes. out nuance, we leave out romance, we leave out most of our bodies in that equation. And, and it just doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> no, and that script, that script is everywhere, whether it's not everywhere. just porn, it's in advertisements, it's in Hollywood movies, it's in pop songs, it's, I mean everywhere unless you look specifically for narratives that are just much more open much more inclusive much more explorational and truly much more connected to these amazing beings that we are or can be right. and to really live pleasure why is there such a disconnect why are there such strange views with regards to pleasure you know when it mm -hmm. comes to our society mm -hmm. yeah well this one this one goes deep <laughs> so yes please. so the the severance from earth has everything to do with the disconnect from pleasure and the systems of oppression that have come to pass as normal because they are normalized in our dominant culture has everything to do with why we don't have a more expansive and inclusive experience of pleasure as well. Because to feel pleasure does not mean that somehow we isolate that experience and then we feel that alone. If we want to feel more pleasure, we're also going to have to open up to feeling more pain. If we want to feel more ecstasy, mm. we're going to feel more agony. And the modus operandi mm. for the dominant culture is numbness. It's, it's keeping us right. in a space where, where we actually are not feeling our feelings and where we have been fed very superficial substitutes for, for the really deeply juicy embodied nourishing forms of pleasure, like making out with a flower <laughs> or, you know, like even, you know, food or, or smells, or you think about like how, how much we have been indoctrinated to, to go for the, these really unhealthy 
substitutes, the, these, these chemically induced, the, these artificially curated substitutes for things that, again, humanity is way older than modernity, that for a very long time, our ancestors lived tuned into pleasure, no doubt, in countless ways that we could barely even begin to conceive of right now. These were the simple pleasures that came of being mm. alive in your body and being connected to the animate world that, that you are a part of, to nature, to you know the, the turning of the seasons, what plants are here, what plants have gone away, the movements of the cosmos, the foods that we ate, the animals that we were surrounded by. And I don't mean to like overly romanticize or, or glorify. I mean, the, the reality is I'm, I'm a modern human. I don't know all the intricacies of what was happening for my ancestors. I, I don't claim that superpower, but it stands to reason that that certainly there, there was a way of being in our sensuous experience. And that's what I want to place an emphasis on here, because that to me is just simply speaking to the fact that we live in bodies that are made to sense, which is a different word than feel. Feel, let's use that for emotions mm -hmm. right now. Sense, let's use that for all the mm -hmm. ways that our bodies perceive through sight, through sound, through touch, through taste, through smell. And, and so back to what's going on for us now, our senses have been dulled. We, we have been numbed out and severed from our sensuous bodies in so many ways largely by being severed from the body of earth in the way that the industrial growth complex has, has made the norm. And so even pleasure has gotten commodified. Even pleasure has been sanitized, anesthetized, whatever words you want to put there to, to fit into a dominantly cultured, culturally sanctioned paradigm or framework, if you will. And, and it's not often about the simplicity of being in our bodies, because if we hang out there and we tune into the pleasure, the thing is, we're going to also, like I said, have to feel the pain of what's been lost. We're, we're going to have to make space yeah. for the grief of what we as humans have done to our earth and, and, and the plight of our species and so many others who have gone extinct at our hands and the suffering that is happening the world over. And so when I speak, you know, back to where we began, when I speak about eroticism versus sexuality, the thing that eroticism includes that often gets glossed over when we just talk about sex alone is that it's making space for these emotions and these experiences as readily as the juicy feel-good ones. And, and I feel that mm. that is essential to our wholeness is to make space for the whole of our human experience, to be present with it all. And that, you know, that's going to show up in our relating with each other then, our relating with ourselves too, for that matter. We make more space for the full spectrum of our experience. We make more space for the full spectrum of those who are intimate and close to us. Our relationships change and then it ripples out wider. But that's not what our <laughs> dominant cultural script is, is guiding us toward. It's quite the opposite. Yes, I'm, I'm with you there, Darshana. And I, I, I hear you. Your mission is there's the individual picture of the people that you work with. There's also the bigger, bigger picture yeah. of really helping to elevate humanity again, you know, where we can become capable of being stewards of this wonderful planet that, you know, we are off and that is a gift nourishing us, you know, versus breaking it. So how can we begin to own our sensual selves again? 
Yeah, that's a beautiful question. And, and it really is more than anything practice and slowing down because it's very mm-hmm. hard to be in touch with our senses when we are speeding past them. And, and so slowing down is unto itself a radical act in a world that wants us to be sped up all the time. And that's where we get to actually notice and drop into quality of presence of what is here right now? What is here in my experience? And this could be, you know, like, let's, let me just conjure a picture. Like, let's say you are in a sensual sexual encounter with a beloved what would it be like to slow down? So fundamentally, it, it, it has a lot to do with slowing down and becoming more present to what is actually going on in our bodies, because our sensuality is inextricably bound up with our body. It, it, they, they don't exist without one another. And, and the slowness piece is where we get to really pay attention to the nuance that is so often getting glossed over that, that we're literally speeding past it at the breakneck pace that most of us go at in, in a a typical modern human life. And I want to conjure, you know, conjure a a scene that, that I hope, you know, uh, those listening can imagine themselves into, you know, let's say you are with a beloved and, and you have a spacious, beautiful time devoted to being with one another's bodies. And the, the intention and the desire is that this evolves into something sexual. Rather than jumping in immediately following the script, rushing to the finish line, what would it be like to actually take the time to be really present with what happens when your hand comes into contact with their face? to notice the contours, the textures, the temperature of of the body that you are touching, to consider the preciousness of that really, like what an intimate thing it is to be invited into such close proximity with another, to breathe in the sense more deeply, to, to really take the time to open your ears to the layers of sound that might be around you, the, the, the way someone's breathing, the way if you're you know, in an intimate exchange, like the moaning, the gasping, the words that get whispered. So, so this is something that I'm, you know, I'm deliberately putting it into a provocative scene, but this could happen anywhere. You could do this practice of slowing down and really occupying your senses with deliberate care in line at the grocery store. You, you, you could do this out on a hike. So, so you don't need to be limited by the, the where or the when so much as focus on the how. How do I tune into what my senses are taking in at this moment in time with greater presence, with, with more intention, instead of just walking around like a brain instead of a body, which is what many of us are doing most of the time, be a body that, that, has, that has these incredible capacities for sensing what's going on and a heart also, we would be remiss not to name that, and a heart that feels What's it like to feel from your heart the emotions that go along with the tactile exchange that you're in? And, and, and that's how, you know, when we make that a practice and, and, and really weave that in, even if, you know, it might start out as something you do once or twice a day for a brief moment, and then it becomes second nature, which 
honestly, is such a misnomer because this is our first nature. This is our true nature. And it's the cultural Mm -hmm. conditioning that has severed us from it. So really what we're doing is returning to who and what we truly are as, as humans. Yes. And what actually happens? What have you seen happening, you know, with yourself, also the people you work with? Once we actually get to that place where we don't accept these imposed on us limitations anymore, and we start being curious and creative and break through those, what happens? Who do we actually get to be then? Mm-hmm. There is a sense of being more true to ourselves that I certainly have experienced for me personally. And I see this in my clients and students, like this, this idea of erotic wholeness, what you get as a whole being is the experience of really living into the truth of your purpose of, of being in alignment with your deep values, relationships transform because they become more honest And and let me be honest, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Like I said earlier, you know, if you want more pleasure, you're going to also feel more pain along the way. And so there, there is a reckoning that happens, a way where we include what has been excluded from our experiences, but do it with a consciousness and an intentionality that invites us into something more intimate, richer more meaningful because we're actually showing up as ourselves. We're actually making space for the whole of our experience instead of the, 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 the nicely, you know, sanitized version where I can be this part of my personality here with this person, but I can't be that part. And, and, and it's such an uncomfortable way of existing that most of us have gotten far too accustomed to. And so we get to shed all that. And, and actually make space for the wholeness and the fullness of ourselves to show up in relationship. And it's an incredibly liberating and enlivening experience. And unequivocally, sex gets better. There, there's no question about it. You know, I, I, I say that many people who work for me, like they come for the sex, but they stay for the transformation. And I get it. Like what's compelling about this work is the, the notion that that we could have more fulfilling sexual experiences. And and I have no opposition to that. Yay orgasms, yay good sex, yay people, you know, really learning whatever it is that pleases them and, and finding ways to include that in their lives. But let's not think that that's the only thing that matters here. Let's, let's not neglect to see how that actually create or rather connects to something much bigger, which is our eroticism, which includes our activism, which has everything to do with the way we're living as humans on this planet right now. It's, you know, it, it really does impact everything. That's not just like a cute phrase. It's, it's the truth. It does. And it's, we have been, you know, it's like, like we've been cut off this, what truly is our superpower Mm -hmm. and to embrace that again, to connect with that again, such a blessing. So when someone works with you, what can they expect when they have a session with you? Yeah. Well, the truth is it does vary because people come for different reasons and I work with people in a variety of ways. So I'm going to speak to one potential way that it could go, knowing that there might be some variance there. But very often what we are doing is we're, we're, we're looking at 
the pieces that have gotten instilled and installed in us that are blocking us from this true nature. So it means we we do end up <laughs> spending a fair amount of time looking at parts of ourselves like our wounded inner child or our, our fierce protective mm. strategies, the, the ways that we have blocked certain parts of ourselves it, with with benevolent intention, right? None none of us like acts out from these places of defense structures or protective strategies because we think that it's a bad idea. At some point in our journey, it was actually a very good idea. There was a lot of wisdom here. We were doing what we needed to do to keep ourselves safe, to ensure some modicum of an experience of belonging for ourselves. But what happens is as adults, those scripts get really outdated and and we need to become more available to genuine intimacy if we want to have a fulfilling life. And that's where I'm meeting people is really getting into that granular level of what is preventing you from showing up vulnerably? What is preventing you from showing up authentically? And what that might look like for folks is an inability to say what they want, sexually speaking. What that might look like is what we saw on the mm-hmm. show, for instance, you know, with, with Camille and Chandra, the couple who I worked with on Sex, Love, and Goop, we we saw that each of them had a different iteration of, of conditioning that was keeping them from fully feeling the truth of their bodies and, and advocating for themselves. Chandra was carrying a lot of religious shame and it, it rendered her in significant pain anytime penetrative contact was on the table. And so we got to really look at unwinding that patterning around shame and and getting her in touch with that part of herself that that feels completely open to and in celebration of her sexuality so that she could receive the kind of physical contact that her body truly desired. And for Camille, for her partner, you know, there there was a lot with her around people pleasing and and being polite and 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 not wanting to make waves or or need too much. And so she would go along with things that she wasn't actually comfortable with, or she would rush herself faster than her body really wanted to go. And so with Camille, you know, there was a big piece around slowing down around knowing that it's okay to take pauses, that you can ask for accommodations and adjustments so that you're getting more of what you need and and that it does not have to be a performance all the time. And and to do Mm. that work, you know, we all got to see highlights of that showcased on the on the on the screen that clear there was a many 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 hours of that that didn't make it into the final cut obviously so so I want to be realistic when I say like this is not an instantaneous transformation that happens there there's a deeper piece of work and, and it is looking at our psyche and our heart as much as it is being with our bodies and what I find consistently with people is that when our psyche and our heart is being tended well, when we actually are, are finding out what those blockages are all about, when we're looking at what does our inner child really need? What are these protective strategies truly all after here? Like, what are they trying to keep us safe from? And we can bring that into our adult experience in a more integrated way. Our bodies respond quite quickly by which I mean they open faster, that they become more receptive and responsive to pleasure, to stimulation, things that might have felt really unattainable, like penetration, like orgasm, suddenly are quite easy to experience when there is a sense of safety and integration. 
So that's the work that I'm doing with people is, is really to helping them to, to uncover what's standing in between them and their pleasure. And, and it's, it, it's just such a privilege and such a beautiful journey to get to be with folks on like that. That's what I'm actually present to right now. As I tell these stories is, is what an incredible thing it is to watch people actually go through this transformation and open up to what's possible on the other side. Mm, that is such beautiful work you're doing, Darshana, and the service extends to much more than, quote, just the individuals you work for, mm-hmm. because the, the the effect, it's like, I mean, it touches everyone in their lives and, and beyond. And, you know, you mentioned it, you know, a lot of people don't know how to ask for what they want. And that's a core issue of many of the problems. So let's say, you know, partners who have never done so, even though they might've been together for quite a good while of time, or even a long-term relationship, how can they learn to talk about sex and what Mm -hmm. they actually want and need? Yeah. Yeah. That is such an important foundation. And I love that that's where you just started because we have to learn how to talk about it. If we want to do it differently, there's going to have to be a conversation about that. And, and this is definitely something that I support folks with and, and, you know, shameless plug, but it's a resource for y'all. I actually have a a self-guided journey designed for couples and it's called turned on igniting your best sex. And fundamentally what it's about is teaching you how to have conversations and giving you ideas for ways to to practice together, to to lean into expanding the scope of what your sex can be. So that exists, that is out there and available for you. And a lot of what it is, is first of all, creating a vocabulary that many of us don't have. You know, or I, I just was listening to Brene Brown actually today speak about this in relation to her new book that came out, Atlas of the Heart, where you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and I hope I do it justice here where there's actually now science that shows that, that our emotions are shaped by our language. Like th- th- this is a real thing that is happening inside of us. And why are, where that becomes really important as far as our sex goes is that if we don't have the words and a shared understanding of those words between ourselves and whomever we're relating with to accurately speak about the things we like, the ways we want to feel, what sex means to us. Our conversations are only going to ever go so far. So expanding the vocabulary and making sure that it's a shared vocabulary is a really important place to begin. And what I mean when I say vocabulary, I'm talking about things like more nuanced words to speak about the sensations that we feel, the kinds of touch that we would want to exchange, the emotions that get conjured. And then we also get to bring in those friends that I mentioned earlier, creativity and curiosity, and and bring an like an attitude and an energy of experimentation to our sexuality. You know, it's very different to to have a conversation and then an experience that goes something like this. Like here here's the the positive example hey, I'm really curious about what we could do together that isn't focused on our genitals. I would love for us to take turns offering one another touch that feels really creative and juicy and alive. You know, maybe we use some different props from around the house. I'll I'll grab a silk scarf out of my closet. I'll grab a fork out of the kitchen, maybe an ice cube and, and, and notice how these different textures and temperatures feel on our body, because I want to know what pleases you. And I'd like to find out more about what pleases me. 
Are you open to that? You know, that, that kind of invitation, it takes a lot of skill to get there. You know, I just made that sound like it was something easy. And I understand that for many people that that's quite an edgy topic to discuss, but, but that is the caliber of conversation I inspire and educate people to have versus, Hey, I'm just not feeling our sex right now. We need to do something different. I, I don't know what to ask for, but this just isn't working for me. So, so one of those is an invitation for connection and a pathway to deepening intimacy. The other is a complaint and, and shuts down connection and doesn't really give us anywhere to go. So fundamentally, you know, the, the main thing that needs to happen here is we have to prioritize bridging and deepening intimacy, even in the way that we're communicating, if we want the sex we're having to transform. Mm-hmm. Wonderfully said. Oh, there's so much wisdom in what you're sharing here. And so let's take it a, you know, a notch further. So this is like a scenario for a couple that you know, does have a sexual connection in most cases, and they want to make it better. How about when there is nothing good to be said at all about the sex that is had, or when there is no sex at all, like, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of couples experience. So how do you start the conversation then? Yeah, well, there, what you're talking about is something that's actually bigger than sex then, because if you're in a sexless marriage, or if you're having really unsatisfying sex, yet you are still interested in changing that, That means there's something else there that is keeping you in connection with this person. What is that? That's where you begin. So it might sound something like, listen, I really love you. And I want us to have a healthy physical relationship. I know we've struggled there before. Are you willing to join me in being creative about exploring that? Maybe that looks like getting a a, a coach like myself. Maybe that looks like a sex therapist. Maybe that looks like watching some videos or reading books together, whatever it might be. But you're you're positioning it such that the person on the other side understands that you care enough about the relationship to want to work on this, rather than it coming at them lodged as a complaint or a judgment about the ways that they're failing you. You, you want to make it about what is good and, and what you would ultimately like to have be part of your relationship. So, so this does, again, it, it really does boil down to cultivating a greater degree of skillfulness in our communication than many of us are accustomed to. But just because we're not accustomed to it doesn't mean we can't get there. There, there. There's so many resources out there that can help us to be more honest, compassionate, skillful communicators. And, and that has everything to do with impacting our intimate lives. Hmm. So it's all again about connection. Yes. Essential. And um, (laughs) so there is something I'd love for you to share with the audience. And it's a question I ask every guest I have the pleasure to talk to. And it's about the practices that most profoundly have changed, affected your life in a positive way that have touched you mentally, physically, or spiritually. Oh, goodness. Well, (laughs) practices, I, it's funny. I'm like, is that the word I would use to describe the things I want to share? Maybe, maybe not. So I'm going to, I'm going to be a little liberal and loose with the term practice, but I'll, I'll speak about, I'll speak about maybe some of the, the modalities or or bodies of work that have really inspired me. First and foremost is dance. Uh, and, and I say dance, what I'm referring to is what some people talk about as like 
conscious dance or ecstatic dance or, or like movement meditation type spaces. And fundamentally what they all have in common is it's a place to move your body free of judgment, free of preconceived notions. You're not following choreography. There's really no way to do it wrong. It's about being in your body more and, and, and moving your body. And I can remember back to the first time I ever stepped into such a space and I was like, what the hell is happening in here? I do not get this. I like, it, it felt so foreign. It felt weird. I was like, even for me who has like some hippie ish tendencies, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about all this PS, you know, all these years later, that, that is my home base through and through is spaces, whether it's me in my living room with music blasting, just doing it for myself or in a group of people, I often play music and invite people to dance and move as part of my coaching sessions, as part of my group programs. Like there's usually at least a few minutes devoted to that. And really being in our bodies and moving is one of the most important and enlivening things we can do for ourselves. Another practice, you know, or, or body of work, you know, when everything that I was sharing about earlier around relationship to the more than human world and, and the importance of cultivating intimate connection with that, with the wild ones around us, a lot of that for me is rooted in a body of work called soul craft, which is Bill Plotkin's work. And, and I have been a deep student uh, of that for many years. And I'm trying to think of what else. There's so many good things. Something that's just a very simple, this one, I guess, is an actual practice is there's not a day that goes by that I don't spend at least a few minutes in the morning and a few minutes in the evening with one hand on my heart and one hand either on my low belly womb space or over my vulva, tuning into my body, mm -hmm. breathing and being quiet with myself. I've had periods in the past where I used to do like extensive seated meditation. And, and that was a part of my practice. That's no longer accurate for me. Generally speaking, moving my body more so than stillness is, is what helps me to, to really come present with myself. But those few moments and, and my hands on, on those very potent energetic centers of my body is an essential way that I come home to myself and really tune in. And, and I'm very much a secure your own oxygen mask first kind of thinker here. We, we have to be intimately yes. connected to ourselves if we're going to show up well for anybody else, whether that's our partners, whether that's our wider communities, whether it's the world at large. We, we actually have a responsibility to all those people to take care of ourselves well, be present with ourselves first and foremost. So that's my little practice of doing that, that, that is part of my day in and day out. And it's, it's really simple and really meaningful. So that's one that I encourage. And I'll throw one more little in there, which is I'm a huge fan of breathing out of your mouth breathing in through your nose and out of your mouth and making some sound sighing. <sighs> and just like letting your nervous system have a little bit of a discharge when it needs it. That's, that's a big one for me. <laughs> mm, that's a great one. Thank you for sharing all of that. This, this rich experience and, and of what you you're doing these, these uh, bodies of work practices. That's wonderful. So for people who want to take a deeper dive and learn more about you and reach out to you, where can they do so Darshana? Yeah, well, you can find me on my website, which is my name, darshanaavala.com. And I mentioned one of my self-guided journeys that's available there. There are a couple of those that exist. I have options for some group programs. 
I do have a private practice still. It's it's quite full. So there is a wait list, but it's not impossible if someone's really wanting one-to-one work. And I also offer private immersions, which are you know short format deep dives. And, and you can find out more about all of that on my site. And Instagram is the platform I hang out on the most. My, my handle there is erotic wholeness. And I'm I'm often there sharing inspiration, sharing lessons, sharing videos, and you know, just just coming in to be in connection because I genuinely do value the the community aspect of this work. And and we are ultimately, you know, what I say is it's individual liberation and service to collective liberation where erotic wholeness is concerned. And we need to be in that collective conversation together. So I love. I love getting to interact with folks there and and that's the place to find me. Wonderful. Thank you, Darshana. And thank you so much for generously giving us some of your time and your insights. It was really a beautiful conversation. I learned a lot. I, I just love what you put into this world. So thank you for that as well. It's really my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me here. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.